Pastor Xavier Reese, encouraging you to be the judge of your idol on today's Simple Truths. Idolatry is something that God declares that He hates throughout the Scriptures. The believer is to reason with every form of idolatry, to show from the Scriptures the air. Now, we don't have little idols. Well, I don't have a little idol. Well, your idol could be in the nursery, your baby. I could be in the parking lot taking two parking stalls, I told you before. You can be sitting on your idol, your wallet. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Whether you think of an idol as something carved out of wood small enough to fit on the mantle, or a big enough singing star to command record-setting primetime TV ratings, God's concern is with anything that takes a higher priority in your life over Him. And as Pastor Xavier turns to Acts chapter 17 today, he'll be discussing Scripture's view of idolatry as something that God actually hates, while learning of the one and only truly worthy of our praise. In studying the lives of um, godly men and women throughout the Scriptures for the last 34 years, since the Lord has saved me, I've come to um, a conclusion that the most valuable possession that God gives to us apart from salvation is time. If you lose money in an investment, you can probably recover it. If you lose a house, a car, you can probably purchase another one. If you lose a loved one in the Lord, you will see them again. But if you lose time, be it by being self-centered or a bad steward, you lose it forever and you never get it back again. We read in the Psalms, 90 verse 12 that David says, Lord, teach us to number our days. The world teaches us that time is money. But the Bible teaches us that time is opportunity to reach the lost humanity that is in our world. Rescuing them from eternal damnation, even as pulling some out of the fire, as Jude verse 9 tells us. And for that reason, Paul could not just sit and doing Anything while he was waiting for Silas and Timothy to meet him here at Athens. Even though he had just traveled hundreds of miles from Berea. He took the opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And preach repentance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Showing us the most important use of time. Let me read our text here. 16 on down. Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, the spirit was provoked within him. And when he saw that the city was given over to idols, therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the Gentile worshippers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicureans and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, uh, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, um, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. And then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar to 
this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell in all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grow for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live, we move, we have our being, as also some of your own prophets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold and silver or stone, something shaped by art of man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed among them Dionysius the Arapagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. The ministry of Paul at Athens here flows in a natural progression that consists of three movements. First, we have the arrival of Paul at Athens, verse 16 through 21. Then we have the sermon of Paul at Athens, verse 22 to 31. And then we have the response to Paul at Athens in verse 32 to 34. The arrival of Paul at Athens. Remember that he has been brought there. Paul was grieved by the amount of idolatry here in verse 16 as he arrives. The city of Athens was world famous, as you know, but at this point, though still admired, it was living in its past glory. The city was one time the intelligentsia of the day, artistic capital of the world, the 4th to 5th century B.C. It was a home of famous lawyers and historians, stage drama poets, philosophers, orators, as uh, Pericles, Demosthenes, uh, Sophocles, uh, Socrates, and all these E's, and Plato, and everything else. Just to name a few. I mean, very intelligent men. I mean, the math, uh, sciences uh, were developed. Incredible. The university was still highly regarded there. So when Paul comes to Athens, he's in his element. He was he went to school in the University of Tarsus. Uh, he was raised at the feet of Gamaliel. This boy is just he's 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 delighting in this. He is just he knows how to deal with these individuals. But he's dealing and he's relating to the power of the Holy Spirit and the resurrection. He's going to use that stuff, but he's not depending on that stuff to bring conviction or persuasion. You understand? Very important. To understand this right now. Right at the beginning. Now, the city was infested with 30,000 gods, represented by stone, wood, gold, many of these statues, accompanied with their temples and altars, images of Apollos, the city patron, Jupiter, Venus, Mercury, Bacchus, the god of debauchery, party animal, Neptune, Diana, Escalapius, the serpent god that healed. Just to mention a few. Now, 
Nor is the Apostle Paul's spirit was provoked within him. He was not impressed with the beauty of the city, and, and he was grieved over the pagan worship here. Uh, the word provoke means to stir, to arouse, to exasperate. And, and the word appears only one time here in the New Testament apart from this. And that's in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, in the negative. Uh, love is not easily provoked. The tense in this text is what's called the imperfect, expressing not a sudden loss of temper, but a continuous subtle reaction of Paul over the misrepresentation of God here through idolatry, the sensual perversion of that. And uh, they had every sort of worship. It was like the Vegas of that day. The same word is used in the Septuagint for God's um, reaction to idolatry, for he is a jealous God, Exodus thirty-four fourteen. The righteous anger of Paul over idolatry was due to his jealousy for God, who was degraded by the horror of this honor and glory that was given to these idols, dead idols, in contrast to the living God. In fact, Paul tells the Corinthians, I have espoused you as a chaste version to Christ, and I'm jealous, with godly jealousy. Notice he saw the city given over to idols in verse 16, and the word idols there means uh, full of idol divinities. All these gods. The idea is the city was under them, swamped by them. Like the Apostle Paul here, jealous for God, would be um, responding in compassion towards those who were lost. Blindness over the gospel. He sees the horror of it, but he sees also the people who are lost. They are partly responsible. We understand this, but we have compassion. It's not a cliche to say we hate the sin and love the sinner. That's a true biblical axiom. We know the men are held captive at the will of Satan. We know that sin puts them in bondage. And so, though we hate the sin, we know that the person can be redeemed. But it's an individual choice, as we'll see. Exonoph and the historian referred to Athens as, quote, one great altar, one great sacrifice. There were more gods in Athens than in the rest of the country. In fact, the Romans said it was easier to find a god there than a man. Look at verse 17. Paul reasoned with the people. He reasoned with the Jews and the proselytes in the synagogue, as his custom was. And the word reason there means to think dif different things with oneself, ponder them, and then to dispute with others. The tense again is the imperfect. It didn't happen just one time. It, he kept on doing this day after day. Reasoning, disputing, arguing with people. Trying to communicate that gospel. In fact, this word is used of Satan when he disputed for the body of Moses in Jude verse 9. As we said, the synagogue is a place where the scriptures were studied. Paul, that was his custom. He speaks to the Jews, to the proselytes here. God fears uh, the foundation of the living God. He could go from there. They were partly blind in terms of Jesus being Messiah, but they believed in Yahweh. But the Gentiles, they have no base, so he approached them from a different perspective, right? Finds a common ground, as we'll see, and he's going to take them to Jesus Christ. Now, notice he reasoned with those in the marketplace also who were present daily. In the marketplace, the Agora was the center of public life, buying, selling, the social interaction. You have panhandlers, everything else, you know, around there. And the apostle here would mingle and enter into dialogue with his people daily. And he kept doing this. The imperfect also applies here. 
So we don't want to think that he just landed and preached and boom, he's out of there. No, I mean, it was just one thing after another. The apostle saw neither Jew nor Gentile. He saw lost men and women. That's what he saw. Now notice in 18 to 21, Paul was encountered by two groups of philosophers. The encounter was not a one-time chance. He kept engaging Paul and discussing him repeatedly from day to day. These guys know everybody. They know when strangers come in, they're, they're keeping their eye open. Now, the first philosophers are identified for us as Epicureans in verse 18 there. Uh, Epicurean came to be at 340 to 270 B.C. And at his death, of course, his philosophy became uh, a school. They were materialists, and pleasure was the pursuit of life and tranquility, disconnecting pain and fear. Just do your thing. Don't worry about tomorrow. They deny life after death and judgment after death. See, so that says, see, you just don't believe in eternity. You just believe that, that there's no life after death and you believe there's no judgment. So that's it. God's done. Now, the second philosophers, notice, were identified as the Stoics. The Stoics were named after his founder, Zeno, who taught from a porch in 340 to 265 B.C. And they were pantheistic, identifying God with material universe. As the force embodied in nature, today that's the new age, you know, good energy, positive energy. Oh yeah, under crystals and pyramids and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, you got to find the Christ in you, the power in you. According to them, everything happened by the will of God. And the world was determined by fate. So they lived their lives in harmony with nature and reason. Regardless of the pain and the suffering, they just sucked it up. This is just what God has dealt with me, and that's just the way it is. And it's amazing how many Christians have this Greek thought in their Christian mind. You go through some bad times and say, well, I guess that's what God had for me. No, not always. Sometimes you put yourself through it. Sometimes the bad that comes to you is because of your dumb decisions and mine. God is in control of my life if I let Him have the reins. Therefore, they were fatalists and pessimists. Who exalted reason and virtue, being unemotional and indifferent to pain and pleasure. Listen, they were self-sufficient. I did it my way, Frank Sinatra. That's the cry of today. It's my life. I'm not hurting anybody. Yes, you are. You hurt yourself first, then everybody else that you're involved with. If you live like an idiot. If you live according to scriptures, then you're going to be good for everybody around you. Notice um, the two philosophical parties ridicule Paul due to the fact of the resurrection. Verse 18, some insulted Paul saying, what, what does this babbler want to say? And the word babbler is used for various types of seed-eating uh, scavenger birds. So this is not a compliment. <laughs> Athenian slang for a vagrant. Uh, for a beggar who lounged around the uh, marketplace, the Agora, picking up scraps from the gutter and everything else. <laughs> a vagabond. And the word is also used for certain teachers who had no original idea or thinking of their own. And they just went around collecting little pieces and then putting them all together under their own concept and presenting them. Uh, so they, they're really um, uh, giving it to Paul, aren't they? But he didn't say... Oh my, I'm being persecuted. We take it too personal. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Christ who's rejected, not me. We have to understand that. 
Others thought Paul was introducing two new gods. They said to one another, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. Stranger or new is what it's indicating here. They have all these gods. Hey, we don't, we don't know these guys. Who are those? The word gods appears 52 times in the gospel for demons. The Septuagint uses it for heathen deities. And the context in our text here is lesser gods or divinities. The Bible is very clear with the close relationship between idols and demons. Very, very, very clear about that. Though he's not making this connection here, he does make it in Corinthians. Very simple. Now, notice they mistaken Paul's preaching of Jesus as two new gods. Jesus, the male god, and the female consort, resurrection. Anastasin. So, hey, we got two new ones. Where are we going to put them? Now, notice in 19 and 20, the two philosophical parties decided to take Paul to the Areopagus. This was the outcome or result of the ongoing discussion from day to day. Don't miss it. Indicated by the two errors that, that are found here. They took him and they brought him. In other words, this long encounter day after day and this dialogue led to this. The hill belonged to Eris or Mars and was called Mars Hills because of the story when the Mars having slain Hilar Hothius, uh, son of Neptune, for the attempted violation of his daughter Elisipi, was tried for the murder here and um, before 12 gods or judges. As you know, the Greeks have all this mythological junk and everything. And this was the location where the judges convened who by appointment of Solomon had a jurisdiction over capital cases, offenses, willful murder, arson, breach of established religious usages, etc., etc. And the court itself was called Areopagus from the place where it sat. So the location as well as the Senate was called that. Uh, Socrates was condemned there. Now, notice their appeal was that they might know this new doctrine he spoke about, not to defend himself before as some interpret it. You read some commentators and they say, well, he was here uh, in trial and he was defending himself. There's nothing in there. Don't read into the text. He's not defending himself. He's proclaiming the gospel. They're inquisitive. They want to know about this. He's informing them. Their reputation of the Athenians, all of them in the foreigners present, it tells us in verse 21, is that for all Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Both Thesutides and Demosthenes rebuked the Athenians for their passion for the new. It's a waste of time. It's amazing to me the world of intelligence, the academic world. They're so open. They just, oh, they know all kinds of stuff, incredible stuff, but they put it all in the same bucket. And not making a discerning decision between truth and error, they end up being the greatest fools. Particularly when it comes to the things of eternity. The scripture sounds much like the America of today. Can you imagine how much information we have today? We are so high tech. And there has never been a more stupid generation alive in the American history. Decisions make no sense. Idolatry is something that God declares that he hates throughout the scriptures. God dispersed the people of the Tower of Babel due to the religious system, as you know, in Genesis 11. This system 
made for the people an availability to have access to God through the worship of nature, creation, the zodiac, a corruption of God's original representation of himself. God gave the second commandment in Exodus 20, verse 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourselves carved images, any likeness, anything in heaven, above, the earth beneath, under the waters. You shall not bow down to them, for I am the Lord God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, the children of the third and fourth generation, of those who hate me, but showing mercy in thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. It's real simple. No one knows what God looks like. Don't make a representation of Him. Don't make a representation of yourself and call it God. You have eyes, you put eyes on this thing. You have hands, you put hands on this thing. And you take a piece of wood, Isaiah says, and you warm yourself in the fire. Then you cook your bread with the other one. Then you make another piece to sit on. And then you make a little God and you bow down to it. That makes a lot of sense, right? Interesting. The worship of the golden calf and idolatry at Peor. The judgment of the northern kingdom. It's very, very clear throughout the scriptures. God hates idolatry. Idolatry is sourced in the worship of demons. The Catholic Church is based entirely on idolatry, the worship of saints to virgins, including the Madonna and Christ child, which is not the Madonna and Christ child. It's uh, Tammuz and Simramis, uh, the wife of Nimrod, and her child supposedly was born by a divine ray and then killed by wild boars and then raised from the dead 40 days after where you get uh, lent from, by the way. You give up something for 40 days so that way you can go debauch yourself and, uh, the rest of the time. It's amazing. See, you can be religious and be ungodly. Religious doesn't mean you're godly. They're completely ex- exclusive from each other. Uh, behind the worship of these are demons um, that impersonate loved ones and angels and deceive people. You must test things through the scripture. Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 19 through 21. What am I saying then? That an idol is anything or what is offered to idols anything? Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? The United States is pagan, godless, idolatrous. Because we have God we trust in our coins means nothing. Because we have all the scriptures and every monument in Washington, D.C. means nothing. Athens was looking back at this past glory. The United States is looking back at this past glory as a Christian People, not as a Christian nation, but as a Christ or Bible-believing people. It is not evident today. We are pagan. We worship things. We worship people. We worship money. We worship sex. We worship violence. We worship ourselves as gods. Am I saying that every American is non-Christian? No, there are some few Christians. But don't be deceived by the masses. The believer is to reason with every form of idolatry. To show from the scriptures the error. Now, we don't have little idols. Well, I don't have little idols. Your, your idol could be in the nursery. Your baby. You know, you had your baby. You didn't come to church for a whole year. You went into hiding. Uh, it could be in the parking lot, taking two parking stalls, I told you before. It could be sitting next to you, your beautiful wife, your handsome husband. You can be sitting on your idol, your wallet. The arrival of Paul at Athens was with readiness to preach Christ Jesus. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, presenting a study of Acts chapter 17, illustrating from the teachings of Paul in Athens the ever-present and serious issue of idolatry is one believer's need to keep in check. Now, there's much more to this study to come next time, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy of this message. And the title you want to ask for is, Idolatry Degrades God. It's available on CD for just $4. And make sure you pass on this study to someone in your church or Bible study. Now, once again, the title to ask for is, Idolatry Degrades God. Or simply mention today's date. Now, you can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. The world's religion would have you believe you're good for eternity. Well, join us next time for the simple truths of the giver of life as Pastor Xavier Reese opens the Word of God right here. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 